There are two Bible readings this morning, the first one from the Old Testament, and it's Psalm 2 in its entirety. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break these chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them into pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son, or he will be angry, and your, and your way will lead to your destruction. For his wrath can flare up at any moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. The second reading this morning is from Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When he saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Thank you, Gary. And there are those, um, the key parts of those passages are printed for you in the little uh, insert here, which has also got a talk outline of where I'm going to head to. Uh, let me just pray again that God would, uh, would speak to us. Our Father, please remind us of what we need to be reminded of. Uh, rebuke us where we need to be rebuked. Encourage us where we need to be encouraged. And we pray that your spirit would be busy at work in our community. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, who would become a missionary, I guess, is the tricky question, isn't it? Have you ever thought of it? Ever thought of becoming a missionary? <laughs> to some people, uh, mission, you know, sounds a bit colonial, doesn't it? It's a bit old world, uh, you know, maybe even a bit politically incorrect. You know, we, we, we send the, 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 the Christian way or, or the British way, you know, to the, to the far ends of the earth. Maybe that's a bit politically incorrect. To others, mission might even sound a little bit comic. You know, you, you really think you're on a mission from God. You know, how, you're going to take yourself a bit too seriously. Mission from God, that sort of reminds me of the, the Blues Brothers. You've seen the Blues Brothers, haven't you? Where there's, uh, you know, the mission from God is to go and save the Catholic orphanage. They're being chased by a homicidal mystery woman, played by Carrie Fisher, or Princess Leah, as you may know her. Uh, you know, the neo-Nazis chasing her and there's a country and western band gone rogue as well. Anyway, it is a great movie. Are we taking ourselves too seriously, though, by saying we're on a mission from God? To others, of course, mission just sounds like a massive miscalculation. 
are you nuts, is the translation. I mean, if you go with CMS, normally we're looking at a 10-year minimum. Who makes 10-year plans? Uh, and uh, that's only once you've got through the extra studies and the application process. But what I'd like to say today, or to remind you of today, because you already know this, is that the Christian message of good news about the risen Jesus is so good that you can literally take hold of all your plans, all your hopes and dreams for life. You can bring them to Jesus, put them down in front of him, potentially see them all turned upside down, twisted around, and yet not lose a thing. The message is that good that your whole world can be turned upside down and you can be better off. You will be better off. The title of today's talk is Christians Go Wherever Jesus Sends Them. And mission is not some self-imposed slavery. It's not some spirituality competition. It's actually like landing the plum job. You know, you're, you're at uni and you, you apply for the graduate program and they give you the top job. They make you ambassador to the nations. They don't just do that for anyone. Before we get back to that Bible reading, though, I'd like to invite you to have a chat with the people in your little mini rows uh, here. Um, a little, just a little discussion question, uh, and the question should be written on your outline there. The question is, do you think of Jesus as being on the way in or on the way out? You know, is he a big name of the past going slowly out of favour, or is he a small figure of the past now on the rise? Is he on the way in or on the way out? Have a little chat. Well, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Uh, would anyone like to uh, yell out their thoughts? Is Jesus on the way in or on the way out? On the way out? Okay. In, in what way is Jesus on the way out? Socially? As in people don't really like talking about Jesus these days. He's, don't see the relevance of Jesus to contemporary culture. Okay. It wouldn't, take, it wouldn't be hard to see that, would it, in, as you look around? Any other thoughts? Is Jesus on the way in or on the way out? Uh, yeah, so if you look, for example, at China, or, could I say, any number of other countries in the world, Jesus is actually very much on the way in. Nobody actually knows how many Christians there are in China. People estimate it could be as many as 100, billion, 100 million, not 100 billion, there aren't even that many humans. Uh, as, I mean, but there are huge numbers. Or you look at South America or Southeast Asia, there are parts of the world, where, or Africa, parts of the world where uh, in Nigeria they have as many people going to Anglican churches as we have in Australia, as in people in Australia you know, almost 25 million people in their churches. So in some parts of the world, Jesus is on the way in. In other parts, he's on the way out. What is going on there? Is there something? Mm, makes you wonder, doesn't it? Well, let's have a look at this, uh, this reading again. In our reading, Jesus didn't seem to be resigning himself to historical obscurity. Let's, let's check these, these verses. In this, what, what, it's called the Great Commission. And uh, particularly verses 18 to 20 of Matthew chapter 28. And as I read them, I'll just read those verses again. Have a listen for the four alls. The four alls. Jesus came to them, verse 18, and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them all or everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So we're going to just think briefly about those four alls and see if there are, if there are implications for all Christians. We'll spend most of our time on the first two. So the first all then, all authority has been given to me, says Jesus. Really? Wow, that's a big thing to say about yourself, isn't it? Have you tried it? Probably not, because you'd be probably locked up. Uh, people don't usually talk in grandiose terms about themselves. Well, mo not most people, anyway. T 2016 presidential elections in the US, Donald Trump said these words, I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot someone and I wouldn't lose any voters, okay? It's like incredible, he says. <laughs> and, uh, you know, even Trump seems amazed at his own popularity. We'll see what that looks like in a few weeks. But uh, he has a grandiose way of talking about himself, doesn't he? But is Jesus' claim even more outlandish? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That is a, can you say anything bigger than that? And this isn't the sort of power that can be voted out. Well, the first thing to say is don't judge Jesus without hearing him. Don't assume that just because he says something seemingly outrageous that he must be a lunatic needing to be locked up or he must be a liar trying to deceive us all. No, we have to hear him and, and think, use our minds, our brains, as we think about what he said and did. Second thing to say is I, think, I don't think we can understand this statement properly. You know, maybe you just think it's hyperbole or whatever, but... I don't think we can properly understand this statement without understanding the Bible's view of history. Ever studied history? Yeah. History's great, isn't it? Well, the Bible says two things that history is not. First of all, history is not a combination of accidents and randomness, as if, you know, the events that happen just kind of spill into each other. Who knows where it all started, but it all kind of randomly just happens. That's not... That's the that's not the Bible's view of history. You know that. Secondly, the Bible says history is also not a sort of a cycle of uh, birth and rebirth, chances and new chances, you know, going down or going up in this great cycle, which you may have also come across. Those two views of, of history are big in the world. But the Bible's view of history is very different. It says that everything was initiated. History was initiated. It was intentionally initiated. Uh, that is, and it's all moving in the direction of a plan. Now, I don't know about you, but it seems that these days everybody is looking for a purpose in life. That's the new big thing. It used to be to be rich. It used to be to be happy. Now the big, big thing people are looking for is find my purpose. And we can get quite anxious if we can't work out what our purpose is. But the Bible reassures us that our purpose is actually written into the very fabric of the universe because everything was initiated. It all had a reason. And it reassures us in our hopelessness that there is a purpose for all things and what flows from that is that there is an integration of history that everything is working towards a plan. 
God's plan for human flourishing and also for that of the whole creation, a plan that involves a perfect, eternal harmony between the creator and the pinnacle of his creation, the human being, a plan that revolves, incidentally, around one particular human being. Now, this, is, this didn't come as a surprise when you open up the New Testament. It's actually all the way through the Old Testament, potentially on every page between the lines, numerous hints as you read the Old Testament. But one of the clearest of, is the vision that was given to Daniel in chapter 7. I'm going to read a few words from that vision. It's a vision of God's glory, and in the middle of God's glory is one like a son of man, which just means a, a human, a person. It says... Chapter 7, verse 13 or so, it says, The Son of Man approached the Ancient of Days, God, and was led into God's presence. So there's a man walking into God's presence. And he was given authority and glory and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Now that is the map of human history, that there will be a human who will be given all of God's authority. Everyone around... Sorry, I don't know if that's my phone or someone else's phone making that. I'm just going to put my... It certainly is a good distraction, isn't it? What were we talking about? <laughs> I think it's gone. Back to Daniel 7. Hundreds of years before Jesus, promise that a man would be led into the presence of God would be given all of God's authority. It wasn't a surprise. In fact, what Jesus is saying to his disciples in this commission is, it, that's me in the Bible. It's coming to pass. Okay, we're going to power and I'm going to talk loudly over that annoying noise. The second all is go and make disciples of all nations. So this Christ figure in Daniel's prophecy is given all authority and then what happens is all the nations and people from every language, tribe and, um, and people group worship him. So that's the implication of him being given all authority. That was the picture of the history as it would unfold, um, but it's not what it looks like to us, is it? As we look around, we see things looking more like the beginning of Psalm 2, which we had read. Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed king. So what's happening? It almost seems like there's, it's not Jesus authority or ownership of all things but rather disregard of Christ disobedience to him and open defiance of Christ is there a problem with Jesus authority well no but this does remind us that Jesus authority is contested contested by kings and rulers but also contested by everyday people who frankly don't want Jesus to have authority over them not everyone does bow in worship. But worship of Christ is what people are called on to do. And we're given a lifetime of opportunity to do it. God has given his authority to this man. And so that's where it's all heading. Are we going to get with the plan is the question. But you've got this problem. You've got the, call, the, the prediction that everyone will, that they'll be bowing and worshipping. Uh, but people aren't doing it. Well, the staggering thing is that Jesus commissions those who do worship him 
to call on those who don't worship him, to call on them to change and to start worshipping. But worship of Christ is what people are called to do. We're, we're to, and the way it looks is to be a disciple of Christ, a follower of him. That's what our worship looks like, following him and calling others to follow him. Now, did you notice that that's, there was a little shift there? We started talking about worshipping him, and now we're talking about following him. Is it the same thing, or is it slightly different? Well, Jesus says, follow me, and things start to look a bit difficult for Christians, don't they? And so life can be a struggle following Christ. We, we sort of see this heavenly picture of everything kind of working together towards that heavenly goal, and yet life is hard. And when we call on others to, to follow him, actually life for them is hard too. Perhaps it's a surprising path to follow on. Aren't we just following the plan to go and worship him? But actually it hurts and sometimes people uh, suffer and sometimes people die. Uh, sometimes people find themselves in very difficult circumstances and yet we are not ashamed. Hear what Revelation 5 says about Jesus. This is where, this is again this, the, the lamb on the throne, God's glory. You are worthy because you are slain. You are worthy because you, are, you were slain. So the suffering of our Messiah is not something that we're ashamed of and following in his footsteps is not something that we're ashamed of. No, we actually rejoice in enduring hardship because that's what Jesus endured and we call others to go on this path of discipleship as well. Some will come and some won't. For now, Christ's authority is for those with eyes to see and ears to hear. He sends us frail and unimpressive followers out on an impossible task. Nothing has changed there. But he says, follow me and call others along too, no matter the cost. Get with my global plan. I suffered and so too will my disciples suffer and endure as they make other disciples. That's the instruction to his disciples and to us. The third all then is to teach them to obey all I've commanded. So back to Psalm 2, and now to the end of that psalm, it's Jesus is vindicated. The psalmist says, Therefore, you kings, be wise, be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son, or he will be angry, and your way will lead to your destruction. For his wrath can flare up in a moment but blessed are all who take refuge in him. So although Christ's authority hasn't yet been displayed to everyone on the earth, you and I have heard about it. And we have a choice to make. If this is the plan for history, and if Jesus does have all authority as promised and fulfilled, then those who hear must obey. We must treat him as the one with authority, not just the one who's kind of the, the, you know, the team mascot. He's the one with authority over us. Sometimes as those, you know, in, sometimes we are constantly encouraging one another about the grace of the gospel, that you can't, um, that you mustn't boast about your good deeds. And in fact, if we, if we don't, sometimes by talking a lot about being a, being a good person, obeying God, obeying Christ, maybe we, 
we undermine the grace of forgiveness, you know, the gospel of having your sins taken away and so on. But those both are actually true. We need to keep remembering both the grace of the gospel and the call to obey the one in all authority, that God actually wants us to please him and that those who continue to rebel against Jesus will ultimately face God's wrath and destruction. So what does it mean then for us to obey all that Jesus has commanded? It means, well, we search the Bible for what Jesus said and taught, but not just the Gospels. The, the disciples who wrote the rest of the... the New, they, in fact, wrote the whole of the New Testament. They are the authorised witnesses. You remember that from our Acts series back in chapter 1 earlier in the year. They were the authorised witnesses to Jesus. And so we, we find out what Jesus' word is through the scriptures and we seek to please him. We serve him with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. And finally, the fourth all, I'm with you always, says Jesus. So these last words to his disciples before he is taken away from them, they're not grim words, you know, I'm the boss, just submit or die. Rather, they are comforting words. The call to go on mission is a call of, of, of comfort, that Jesus is actually with us. He's with us for our protection and to provide for us. Here again, words from, from another prophet, hundreds of years before Jesus arrived. This is from the prophet Zechariah. This is in your notes as well, under there, under point four. The prophet Zechariah says, Shout, and be glad, daughter, daughter Zion, that's Jerusalem in Israel, for I am coming and I will live among you, declares the Lord. Many nations will be joined with the Lord in that day and will become my people. I will live among you and you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. And so this is not just a promise for Israel, for Zion, but that all the nations will come into the people of God. They'll be joined in and we can become the people of God too and that God will dwell amongst his people. That's, that's what it is to be a Christian. We are living in the hope of dwelling with God. Now, that's partly a future thing, but it's also a now thing that he is dwelling with us by his spirit and, and that's not going to change ever. God is always going to dwell amongst his people. It was promised in Zechariah and other places and now fulfilled in the coming of the Spirit. The Apostle Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. So we are meant to be, to have that peace that comes from Christ now. Christ's peace shapes the Christian life. Christ's peace shapes mission. You can go to a foreign part of the world, you can potentially get yourself in trouble, and yet Christ's peace is with you wherever you are. We're all connected by Christ's peace. That through the Spirit, the presence of Christ is with us in every circumstance, in every place, in every type of work that we might do in his service. All right, uh, before we tie things together, just another quick... Uh, discussion question but rather than talking amongst yourselves I'll get you to yell out your thoughts in the big group here I'm going to read out three quotes about purpose I'd like to hear what you think about these uh, the first one is from Woody Allen uh, filmmaker 
from New York, he said, the artist's job is not to succumb to despair, but to find an antidote for the emptiness of existence. Sounds positive, doesn't it? Uh, Frederick Nietzsche, he's a, he was a philosopher. Nihilism, sort of nothingism, no pointism, um, no godism. That's kind of where his philosophy was. But here, here what he has to say. He who has a why to live for can bear almost any how. Interesting for a nihilist to say that. Or thirdly, from Jesus of Nazareth, who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What do those quotes say to us about purpose? Have you got any thoughts? Jesus provides a purpose. Yes, thank you. Anyone else want to yell out any thoughts about filmmakers and philosophers? So that's right, the first two, they're, they're kind of admitting there's no purpose or meaning. That's a, it's a bit depressing, isn't it? Yeah, Stephen? Yeah, you have to have a purpose outside yourself, otherwise it's meaningless. There's this sense from the other two that you kind of have to create your purpose, isn't it? And that, that is a lot, that's a big burden to carry through life. And yet with Jesus, he says, you know, it's come to him. He's not, I'm a way to make it through life, or I'm a way of life, or, or, or a, I'm one of the true things. He calls himself the truth, the way, the life. Get on board. Well, conclusion, Christians go wherever Jesus sends them. Now, I work for CMS, and you know what? Actually, we don't... So we're the church missionary society, but we don't send missionaries, right? Who sends missionaries? Jesus sends missionaries. And he calls on the whole church, us, but also every Christian in every part of the world. He calls on us all to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching people to obey everything he commanded. And it's the fulfillment of what the Old Testament was saying would happen. He came and now it's happening. And he says, with that authority that was given to him from God, he says, Christians go. Christians go. Where are you going to go? I don't know. Open the door and go somewhere. <laughs> Ask God, where do you want me to go? This is every Christian's calling to go and make disciples contribute to that great big picture of history being fulfilled of people from every tribe, tongue, nation bowing before Christ and submitting to his authority. Christians, go. So where are you going to go? Well, for many of you, well, I guess, I guess the big question is, do we all go overseas? And for many of you, I think the answer is no. Cross-cultural work requires a particular set of skills, you might have those skills. Often it also depends on the time of stage in life and those sorts of things. If you don't have those skills and you want to see if you've got them, then try making friends here in Mount Barker with people from different cultural backgrounds. How many friends do you have from different cultural backgrounds? Uh, but don't just chat at a superficial level. Go and have a meal with them. Go into their house and see how they think and how they talk and how their family works and see what their culture is, because crossing cultures is very different. Not everybody finds it easy to flourish in the cross-cultural context, but we've all got to do what Jesus says. Uh, 
So how do we do it? And the way we do it is through partnership. So if a friend goes to do mission, we partner with that friend. If our church sends a worker, we partner with that worker. If our church has missionaries that we partner with, then we as individuals also partner with that person. A mission partnership normally starts with two fundamental components, prayer and giving. A missionary can't survive without prayer, can't survive without financial support. And so that's what we give them. And so let me ask you the question, will you partner with a missionary by receiving their regular prayer updates via email and by giving an amount of money? Maybe that the amount that CMS is asking people to consider is $35. Would you consider $35 a month to partner with missionaries? Do you know that Trinity Church Mount Barker doesn't budget for our missionaries? We don't budget because the way we partner is by calling on the individuals in the church to partner individually. So we're not doing it individually, though, are we? We're doing it collectively because we connect. CMS receives 90% of our income from individuals. Would you, would you partner with a gospel worker? And you can do that. I'm sure you can find a way via the website or whatever. The bigger question is, what does it look like for you? Um, if you can't, you know, read, get an update and pray it every single time it comes, that's okay. Just pray when you can. Um, for some of you, of course, you can go overseas yourself. There are some of you who could do this. And maybe you should think about it. You know, if you have the, the gifts and your life circumstance suits it, come and have a chat with me sometime and we can start a conversation. Of course, there's also local mission and there's regional South Australian Northern Territory mission, which, which John's going to be involved with particularly. There's mission everywhere we go. So in one sense, it doesn't matter where you put your effort and where you partner. But Jesus says, get involved. Who are we? We are disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus. And we go wherever Jesus sends us. And we partner with those who go to places we can't go, cross cultures, cross borders because God's mission is for a world that knows Jesus he sent Jesus the first missionary if you like and the Holy Spirit to equip us God is the sending God to get his message out but now he's sending us to a world that, that they might know Jesus not only his name but also his authority so what are the implications for you if Christ has all authority let me lead us in prayer. Our Father in heaven, uh, thank you for uh, installing Jesus in that position of all authority. Uh, we are so glad that our, our Saviour and Lord is sovereign. And so when we call to him, we, we need have no fear whatsoever. Uh, we know that he is with us. And we know that this plan about Christ's glory is the plan for all things. Please help us to get on board with that and to trust you and not to be worried. Um, Father, please help us as we think about our lives and, and our priorities, what we do with our time and our prayers and our money and our relationships and our words. Please help us to get on board 
with mission in our own way. Our prayer is that your spirit would nudge each of us in, in, our, in our own way and show us who are our friends, neighbours, colleagues, family that we can be talking with, uh, but also if there are places you want us to go in particular to, to have those conversations. Father, equip us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.